Good morning, church. I, my endeavour whenever I get up to preach is always to start quite passionately, something quite powerful, something, you know, that really, yeah, that. But actually, it's going to be the reverse this week because it's actually been an incredibly difficult week. I've I've actually found, it's not normal to start on a negative, is it? But passion is false if there's not some honesty with it and there's not some reality with it. And, and I've had a tough week. It's not been an easy week. It, it, it began uh, last Sunday um, with my daughter's phone was stolen. There was a, uh, I know Emma who runs the kids' church here, son's phone was stolen as well at the same time. Um, it, it happened in this building as well, which is, as many of you know this, I, I'm aware. Um, there's a, uh, the reason I'm sharing that is that there is a testimony associated with that. Um, it, it looked impossible that we were going to get this phone back. And we've been in this position before, funnily enough, where it was last time it happened, it was mine and, and Sophie's phone that was stolen. And we, we talked on Sunday night and it's a phone. It's a phone. At the end of the day, it's just a, a piece of glass and a piece of metal. And in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean an awful lot, does it? At the end of the day, it's a phone. The testimony behind it isn't really... There's two, I suppose. One is that we got it back, which, which, which is incredible. How many people have a phone stolen and get it back? And this is actually the second time it's happened. The last time this happened, we got both phones back, didn't we? Um, the, the testimony, though, is I don't think it's so much about getting it back, although that is a testimony in itself, because God cares about the things that, that matter to us. And I think there's a testimony in there. There was a belief in me. I wasn't surprised when we got the phone back. It wasn't a shock to me. I wasn't like, although I, I realise what a shocking thing it is, because e- even though the phone was essentially unusable, what tends to happen in that situation is just drop down a grid. You know, it's just kind of gone, and, and then there's no evidence and no problem. But the testimony is, is more than that, because me and Ian actually went and, and met the guy who had taken it. And it, it was strange because it was only really the next day or later on that day, and I was driving to Liverpool to see some friends, and it suddenly kind of dawned on me that I'd been in a situation where my daughter's phone had been stolen, and then over a series of circumstances of going and getting that phone back and seeing the guy and his situation and all of that, Within a day or so, me and Ian are turning up at this guy's house and we're buying food for him and, and we're trying to help the guy. And I mean, Ian's took that over and done far more than me. Um, and, and I find that an incredible testimony. That I can't imagine many other places where that would happen, where, you, you know, you, you, you kind of slap someone in the face. And, and it dawned on me, and I don't mean, I don't say this, I say this literally as a testimony of God and who he is, and, and I suppose really what he's done in me, that it was, it was a good Samaritan act. Because I'm a dad, and there was a part in me. You know, we all have different parts in our brains, don't we? And, and different thoughts and different emotions come over. And there was a part in me that was angry and that was annoyed and, that, you know, that felt like, hey, retribution and, and vengeance and all of that kind of stuff. But that never happened. Because we know, and God says, doesn't he, when someone slaps you in the face, you turn the other cheek. And that's the testimony. And that's the, the witness. Um, 
the, the wheat was just as, the other testimony which I think was just as powerful was, was obviously with Corinne. And, and I, I am very aware of, of, of how much Eli's done as well uh, for, for that family and how he's been there for them. Um, I, I saw Corinne on Sunday afternoon and the, the most amazing testimony for me was, and really this is where the sermon comes from today, because actually it was, it was what happened yesterday more than what happened on, on Sunday and Monday, but Sunday and Monday really is relevant for what happened on yesterday on Saturday when I saw her on Sunday I sat with her and she'd had a, a bad night the night before I know Eli had been with her and spent a lot of time with her that night as obviously at, at, at Warren and, and was and the rest of the family and she'd been at a point where she'd struggled to breathe and she thought she was going to die um, just t- really difficult breathing issues and so she explained this to me and she said she prayed and she'd asked God to, 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 to not let her die that was a word, Lord, I don't want to die. Lord, don't let me die. And so I sat there and Corinne was in a terrible, terrible situation. In, in, in its most natural situation, you said there was no hope for her whatsoever. She had a fracture in her back. She was in incredible pain. She said it was like lying on a bed of, she didn't describe it as nails, but you could almost describe it as like lying on a bed of nails was the... The, the, the extent of the pain that she was in. And so I'm sat there with a lady that clearly there's, in, in the natural sense of things, there is no hope for her. But she's telling me she doesn't want to die. So my first reaction was, what is it that, you, what is it that you, you know, you're waiting for? Why, you know, what is it you're waiting for? And her response was, it, it blew me away. And I, I could do nothing other than honour it. And her response was, above all else, I want to live. She said, I want to be there for my family. I want to see Warren, uh, was, sorry, get married. I want to see the grandchildren growing up. And she said, I want to come back to church and serve. She said, I want to come back. I am desperate to come back to church and to serve. And to serve in this church, I thought that was absolutely incredible. Circumstances changed and by yesterday, it it was obvious that she wasn't going to make it through. And she recognised that and she understood that. And in that time, she had come to a point where she knew it was time to go home and to be with the Lord. And, and that was the way she talked about it. She wanted to go home and she wanted to be with the Lord. And the reason I'm sharing this is because all yesterday with her, it, it, what struck me more than anything else, and it's something that some of you I will have talked in these terms. I know there's, there's many people in this room, if I've spoke to you one-on-one, I've talked about these kind of things, and that is the end of your life. Ha, ha, what's that going to look like? Have you thought about what the end of your life is going to look like? Have you considered it? Have you not made provision? The world will say, have you made provision? And if you, if you look into it, it's one of the things that, will, that, you, that you will get told if you're dealing with someone who's at the end of their life. They'll often have a, a, a feeling of wanting to make sure everything's sorted out. It might even be as simple as that the, the, the plants are watered or the cat's catered for and these 
these kind of things. And that might sound silly, but actually that, they're the kind of things that come to people's minds. That says something about us as human beings, doesn't it? You know, that we're thinking about what we're leaving behind. And some of you will have thought like that. Some of, some of you will have already had those thoughts. What I saw in Corinth was a woman who was completely prepared and ready for the end of her life here on earth. She was ready. She knew where she was going. There was no doubt whatsoever in her mind or in her family's mind, all of us around that bedside, myself, Tina was there with us as well. There was no doubt in our minds as to where Corinne was going. The, the great hope for me and the, the comfort for me that I felt I had for Warren was that, you know what, uh, because 47 years they've been married. That's incredible, isn't it? 47 years of marriage. I, I think this is incredible. It's a Christian couple. And I was able to say to Warren, it's not going to be long. You're going to be reunited with her. And it won't be long. Corinne, we're not going to be far behind you. We're going to be following you into heaven. And we're going to be not far behind you. And for Corinne, it'll be in the twinkling of an eye. For us here on earth, the time will pass a little bit more slower. But be under no illusion, guys. And as you're getting older, you will realise this. You'll be, all of you will realise this. The years get faster. And life, the Bible describes it, is as a breath. It comes and it goes so quickly. It's so, so fragile. It's so precious, but yet so fragile and so taken away in a, in, a, in a twinkling of an eye. But Corinne was utterly ready. She was ready. And I saw a woman there that had lived a life that she could say she had ran her race. She had ran her race. I was in awe of Corinne. She's an amazing woman. She might not seem amazing on the face of it, you might not be able to, to write a book on all of her achievements and what she's done, but I don't judge someone by those things. Yeah. To me, you don't have to have made it to be Prime Minister or done anything that the world would see as great to have lived an amazing life. Yeah. She loved her husband, she loved her son, she loved her family, and she was faithful to God. The only concern for her and her husband in, in those last moments, in those last hours and days, was what did the Lord want? Yeah. What did the Lord want? And, and, and in those moments, I, I just found it to be the most incredible, incredible testimony. And my question to you this morning is a really simple one. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because I want to say something to you. It's never too late to get yourself ready. And it's never too early. It's never too early. And it's never too late. Both of those statements are completely and utterly true. It is never too late. The thief on the cross next to Jesus 
was nailed to a cross. He could not do anything. Yet in that moment of salience, and I want to talk about that word and its significance in a bit, in his, in his moments of salience, of, of understanding, it wasn't too late for him. But equally, you might say, well, I'm young and I've got my whole life ahead of me. Have you? Do you know that? Do you know you're guaranteed a tomorrow? Because I don't. And that might sound like a lack of faith, but I want to tell you something. Faith isn't that everything always works out as we would expect and as we would hope and as we would want it to work out. That is not faith. I don't believe that is faith. There are different types of faith in the Bible. There's saving faith. There's faith for promises that God has given you. There's different types of faith. But what I don't believe faith is, is just a a, a hope that we have. And if that happens, great. If it doesn't, then our faith didn't arrive. Faith is sometimes that things don't work out as we wanted them to. But we still believe that it's going to be okay. That even though it's not worked out as we expected it to, that that's still okay. That God is still God. That His promises are still the same. Our faith in God's promises is different. There is a belief that God is able to deliver on what He says He will do. Now we might not always see that happen. Sometimes people die in faith with the expectation of that happening. My brother is here today. Oh, Melvin, that's that's lovely, isn't it? That's great. I debated whether to get him up. Do you want to come up? Come on, come on up. Come on, come on up. Come and say hello, Melvin. You won't be able to see much because the lights are a bit blinding, so you won't, you won't actually be able to see many of the people. But this, they can see you. This is, this is my brother, yeah. Melvin. This is one of my brothers, Melvin. Yeah. He's come, we've flown him over from Lille. Yeah. Uh, to, 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 for, for, uh, there was an uh, event on this weekend that we flew him over for. I won't say any more than that. But that was yeah. the, re- I, I, I'm trying not to refer to it, but that was the reason we flew him over, to be fair, wasn't yeah, it? it was. and, and, and it was a successful trip, I would say, very, very, so far. Very successful. Yeah, it was. Um, but <laughs> oh, no, <it> <laughs> I'm doing my best here, I really am. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get you up, mate. I just want to get you up. Oh I just want to get you up and, 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 and parade you to. Yeah, I, you, you know, my, I, I've got a Bible at home. And, and in that Bible, there's a prayer. In fact, I'm, I must show it to you before you go. Yeah. Uh, it's on my, my, my shelf in the office. And, and it's an old um, New King James Bible that I got when I, I became a Christian. And there's a prayer in the front that I wrote. And it's based on the promise or the, the question that Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And, and, I, and, I, and I went, okay, God, I really believe you're asking me. So I wrote a list, a long list. And I'm like, right, God, I want this, I want that, I want the other. One of them was I wanted to see my dad. And I, I found out that he died when, when we managed to. In fact, it was through you 
yeah. wasn't it? It was through yeah. you seeing the post on the internet and, yeah. and just yeah. searching and looking. Um, so you, you could say it didn't work out as I wanted it to work out. It, it was my, my life's desire to meet my dad and it didn't happen. I didn't get to meet him. But I, God gave me back so much more. And, and the, the, the plan and the hope is to go to Botswana where, where he, he, he's laid to rest, where he lived his last 20 years or so and to visit my other brother and to see this video of him and stuff like that. So in one sense, I, I will get to see him. Um, but God's given back so much more, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah that's good. Thanks, mate. Bless you, mate. I, I want to give you... Seven steps. If you've got notepads and paper and, and whatever, please get them out. I want to give you seven steps to be prepared for that day. And when I say be prepared for that day, I'm on about... See, for me, the, the big question, and, and what I, I've asked myself I, I, for, for the last, I don't know, few years now, but I saw this answered in Corinth, is... What do you want to be said about you on that day? What do you want the conversation with God to be on that day? What do you want to leave behind? It's not that you're going to always leave perfection. It might not be the case that you leave perfection. But that's not always what it's about. It's about what the people who knew you and who were around you are going to say about you, what they saw, how they saw you live your life, the kind of person that they saw you were, and what they saw you do. I believe that there's some people in here, there's a mix of people in this church, and, but some of you, some of you, there's a, there's a church that many of you will know, that gave us this building. They've given us this building, they've given us resources and everything to go with this building. Because they looked at our church and they believe in our church. They think our church is incredible. They think our church is incredible. There's some of you in here that have, are making sacrifices of time, finance, you name it, because you think and you believe that this church is incredible. You believe that there's, in fact, maybe, let me put it slightly different. You believe that there's something special about this church and you're honouring God. We meet people who come to the church for the first time. We meet other pastors who, who visit or hear about it and hear about different things and the testimonies that go around. They think our church is incredible. Other churches in Warrington think our, this may surprise you, other churches in Warrington think our church is great. I'm sure they think theirs is as well and that's great and, I'm, and I think there's some great churches in Warrington as well. But some churches in Warrington think our church is great. Think our church is incredible. Some of our enemies think our church is incredible. Do you realise that? Some of our enemies think our church is incredible. In fact, for some of them, that's why they're our enemies. Because they hate the fact that our church is incredible. They actually don't like that. It gets to them. The problem is that some of us in here 
Everyone else thinks our church is, is special. There's something special about it. And that doesn't mean there's not other special churches. All right, so th- I don't mean that. But th- there's something special about our church. But some of us in here, we kind of believe it, but then we don't really act like it is. We don't, we kind of believe it, but then we kind of don't. And there's a hesitancy about our actions, about our language. There's almost a superstition about the way we speak and the way we act, as if it's possible that we could talk in a certain way and and that be the cause that things don't quite work out or don't happen the way we want. Anyone ever done that over something you've wanted and I better not say anything because it might might mean it doesn't happen? I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Come on. Really? Like touch wood and all of that stuff? What, if you touch a piece of wood, that's going to make something happen or not happen? Really? Is, is, that what we, is that what we actually believe? You know, now don't get me wrong, our language is important. There's no doubt about that. And, and if you've listened to any of my sermons, you'll know I, I really, I, I watch my language and everything. Let me tell you something though. This comes from someone. I, I doubt. I fear. I doubt. I worry, I get anxious, I get nervous over things. I'm, I'm like, a, I'm, I'm a Jekyll and Hyde because I'm, I'm a man of incredible faith and vision and, 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 and I'm not being proud or anything because equally I, I, I have such great faith and I'm, I'm like, I believe and I'm there and then yet in another moment something can happen and I can be derailed in a second. I can be literally knocked off in a second and I'm having to go back to what I know, to go back to what I, the sermons I've preached myself, encouragement I've had in God, encouragement I've had in the Lord to get me back on track and I have to keep doing it. I have to keep getting myself back on track. I have to keep telling myself it's going to be okay, we're going to get through, it's all going to work out. Maybe not the way I think it's going to work out. But I tell you what, that I, I, I will never, ever speak against the promises that I believe that God has spoken over me. I will never, ever speak against them. I believe in them. As far as I am concerned, if God has spoken, it is fact. It is done. There is no doubt in my mind. That is a decision I made when I became a Christian and I started to learn about men of faith and what it meant to be a Christian. The art of faith, how to live a life, a Christian life of faith. And I started to see and hear the testimonies and read what the Word says about the importance of belief and faith and hope and how powerful it is. Is this helping anyone? Is this... Are we getting somewhere? God himself has picked us out. He's picked us out. He has chosen us. And I don't understand it, but I don't need to and I don't really care. I'd, I'd love to give an explanation of why us and not them or them or them or whatever. But that's not the point. The point is God has chosen us. And here's the thing, right? People, Corinth has just died in faith, believing, believing for this church, among other things as well, but believing for this church, faithful to the end. 
She said to me, I have been faithful. My language has never deviated, she said. I have never spoken a bad word, she said. And do you know what? I believe her. I have no reason to doubt her. I believe her 100%. And I went there to encourage her and I'm sat there ashamed because she's encouraging me. It happens when I go to Tina and, and she's another one who does that. I go to try and like, you know, I hear her and I think, oh, I better go around and encourage you and whatever. And I'm like, and she's encouraging me. I'm like, this isn't right. What's going on? But it's God's choice. He chose us. He loved us. He picked us out, knowing exactly who we were, knowing exactly what we were like, knowing all of our faults, knowing all of our failings, but taking us as we were and as we are. He chose us as we are. Warts and all. All of it. For what? For what? I want to tell you something, right? All the people who have died in faith for this vision, and many have, because this vision, we're not a, an old church, but we're not a new church either. This church has been going for 30 years or more. But all of those people who have died in faith and, and sacrificed and given and all of those things, it was all for naught for us if we don't do one simple thing, one simple thing, and that is believe, and that is believe. Guys, right, there's people out there who believe in us more than some of us in here believe in us. There's people out there who believe in us more than some of us in here believe in us. There's people in here who believe in us more than some of us in here believe in us. God has no doubt whatsoever in us. None. Me and Vicky, and I've been upfront and honest, I have moments of doubt, I have moments of fear, I have moments of anxiety and worry and all of those things. But me and Vicky, we believe in you. We believe in you. We believe in you. We believe in this church. We believe in it. But it's all in vain unless we all believe in unity. The greater we can get together and believe in unity and get tight and have a core that is so strong in its belief. <coughs> Excuse me. That it cannot be broken. That when one struggles, the other one is putting their arm around and encouraging. And saying, hey, do you remember what you said? Do you remember this? Do you remember that? Do you remember all of those things? We need to cultivate, to fill our minds to overflowing with faith. Yes. With faith. Belief. Belief in what God has said. Belief. Why did you come here? Why are you sat here this morning? Because you have belief. You wouldn't have come if you didn't believe. That's what I, that's what I believe. 
The problem is that there's some doubt that gets mixed in there. There's some doubt that gets mixed in there. And we've got to deal with that. And I want to give you some steps, seven steps, to deal with that in seven minutes and 18 seconds. Hebrews, I've seen the time, I do it every time. Hebrews 11.6, it is impossible to please God without faith. Did you hear that? It is impossible to please God without faith. Come on. And in this, right, anyone who wants to come to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. He rewards faith. He rewards simple belief in him. That he exists. That he rewards those who believe in him. He does that. You see, God's not moved by perfection. He's not looking around for us as a perfect church. He's not looking for that. He's not looking for us as a a church that's mighty in number, although he wants to take us to that. That's not about like, oh, kind of having numbers. That's because every new person that comes into this place is another vessel to be filled by the Holy Spirit. It's another life that is transformed. I spoke with a person this week. I'll be very careful not to give too much detail. But this person was talking about a a moment that they had where they suddenly had this realisation that God was there and he'd been there all along. When I talked about salience, salience is this. Imagine you, you, you take a path regularly and, and through this path, it's a bit of a rough path, so there's some twigs on it and you just take this path regularly and you don't think anything of it. And then one day, you happen to take this path and it's late at night and it's quiet and it's dark and maybe there aren't any streetlights on this path or maybe they're out and you're walking along and suddenly you hear a twig snap. Do you notice that? Absolutely you notice that. That twig suddenly is probably the loudest sound you can hear. Suddenly there's an awareness of that twig snapping. Yet you've walked that path how many times and never heard twigs snap, even though you've stood on them and snapped many. Why? Because suddenly you are in a place of salience. Suddenly you're in a place where you're in a place of awareness of something that was there all along, but you didn't understand. You didn't know it. Listen to this in Joshua. Sorry, not in Joshua, in Genesis. I don't know why I said Joshua. In Genesis 28, if we could go to that, Sam, 15. This is Jacob. I love the story of Jacob, one of my favourite characters because he messed up so many times like I do. And it, this is right at the beginning, really. Jacob's he's leaving home. He's heading out. He's kind of got the promise off God. And, and his, his mum's been a big part of that. And his dad's been drawn into it. And suddenly he's got this promise, but that's caused problems because he's upset his brother in particular. So he's, 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 his mum's like, you better leave the scene. You, you better go off so it's safer. So, so he leaves. And on his way, it says in verse 15, it says, Behold, 
he, he stops at a place, actually, it's just, I'm not going to read the, about what happens in it, but basically he, he, he lands at a place, it's called Bethel, many of you have heard of that name, there's lots of churches that use this name, it means house of God. And he, he, he stops at this place called Bethel, it, it describes, I love this bit, it says he, he rests his head, he, he's tired, and, and he gets a stone as a pillow. I mean, that's bad, in it, when you're using a stone, a rock as a pillow. That's, that's no comfy pillow, is it? <laughs> but he does that, and then he, he has a dream, an incredible dream. It's often called Jacob's Ladder. He sees this ladder that goes up, and his angels ascending and descending. And at the top of the ladder, the Lord is there at the top of the ladder, looking down. And the Lord looks down and speaks to Jacob. This is, can I, this is my safe place. You know, when, when I get in that fear and that doubt, I go to Jacob's ladder. I go there. It's kind of like become my place. And I imagine myself there. I can picture it. I can see it. I imagine myself there. And it's a, it's a safe place because God's there. God's there. And God looks down and he says to Jacob, he says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and listened to what he said. Listen to what he said. He said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. He was suddenly, he had salience. He knew. God was there all along, but he didn't even know. He was unaware. But suddenly he knew. God was there all along, and I didn't even know it. And verse 17 says, And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There is none other than the house, oh sorry, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Wow. Wow. So seven steps. Seven steps. Step one. Really, really simple. Put yourself in God's hands. Put yourself in God's hands. He is with you. He is with you. Wherever you go, there's verses all the way through the Bible about God's presence and him being with you. He told Moses, Moses asked God. He said, God, he said, I need to know what you're like. You're telling me to lead these people. You're telling me to, to take them on a journey, but I don't even know what you're like. What are you like? And God said, my presence, my presence will go with you wherever you go. That is what God is like. His presence will go with you wherever you go. You may not always be salient because your mind is on other things and you, you're taken up with work and doing all your stuff that you do and your, your issues and your problems and all of that. But He is there with you wherever you go. And all we need to do is just stop and listen. And just listen to feel his presence again. And he is there. He is there. Number two, ask him. Ask him what his plans are for you. Ask him what his promises are for you. Ask him. 
He says, ask me and I will tell you secrets that you could never even imagine, you couldn't have dreamed of. Just ask him. That's what he says. Just ask him and he will show you. He will reveal to you. Number three. Are you ready for this one? Are you ready for this? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. The Christian life is built on sacrifice. So many examples, but time is short. Sacrifice. Count the cost. Count the cost. Be prepared to pay the price. And then pay it. Pay it. Make the commitment. I will pay the price. Because with the measure that you give, it will be given back to you in even greater measure. But the greater measure that it's given back to you is based on the measure that you give. It's a multiplication of that generally, but it's based on the the multiplication factor is based on what you give. So if the multiplication factor was times 10 and you put in 5, you're getting 50 back. If it's times 10 and you put in 10, you're getting 100 back. But count the cost. Ask God what he wants. Ask him, what is the sacrifice that you want me to make, Lord? It will, there will be different things along the journey. But ask him. And then commit. And then commit. Number four. We've already talked about this one. Believe. Oh, believe. Oh, believe. You've got to get yourself into that place of belief. When that doubt comes in, you've got to capture that thought and get a hold of that and stop it. A coward dies a thousand deaths, but a courageous man, only one. Only one. Earl Nightingale said, you will become what you think about. You will become what you think about. Control your thoughts. So many of the great teachers, Jesus and the Bible being the original ones, have have realised the importance of this concept of controlling your mind, controlling your thoughts, asking God for a picture. Ask him. This is why it's so important that you ask him in number two what it is that he wants. And then when you believe in, you want to see it. You want to grab hold of it. You want to make sure you know what it is. Write it down. I write it down. I've got all kinds of stuff written down in all different apps and in Bibles and all kinds of stuff. Write it down. It says in the Word to write down the vision plainly that people can run with it. Me and Vicky have sat there and we've written down the plan for the church. And we've committed to it. Number five, study, 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 study. Leaders are readers, it says. Study the Word of God. Study the Bible. Because it's full. It is full of incredible wisdom. Incredible, incredible, amazing testimonies of people where it was all over. It was all over. They they failed and they came back from the dead. They came back from the dead. They succeeded. They made it. When it looked like it was all over, when it looked like there was no hope, they came back and they came back stronger. And that was the point when it turned around and that was the point when the floodgates opened and the blessings started coming more and more and more. 
But if you don't read it, if you don't study, you won't, it won't be in there for you to know it. Listen to testimonies. Go, go be a part of a life group. Go to a life group and learn and study. And don't just rely on everyone else to teach you. Go and search yourself. You've got to be hungry yourself. Hunger and thirst. Number six, courage. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. Number six, courage. You've got to have courage. You've got to have courage. You've got to be courageous. And do you know what courage is? It's not envying others. It's not looking at what someone else has got and going, well, I want what they've got. I want to take it off them. It's not being jealous. Courage says, God, I'm happy for what they've got. I'm happy for their blessing. So what I'm doing is I'm coming to you and saying, God, what have you got for me? What is your portion for me? I want them to have that. I don't want to take off them. Courage is believing that God is a creator God. He doesn't have to take from me to give to you. And he doesn't have to take from you to give to me. He can create more. He can create anything at any point, at any time. He can create as much as is needed for all of us, for every single one of us. The problem is we look and we see, well, that person's got that, so that means I can't have that. What we don't realise is, no, you can't have that, but God has got something like that for you. Yours just looks a little bit different. And when you get a hold of yours, you're like, wow, that's incredible, that's amazing. Thank you, God. Fear, no evil. Courage, fears, no evil. Perfect love casts out all fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Don't allow yourself to fear. Pick yourself up. Stand up. Stand tall. Put a smile on your faith. Speak out words of faith. Write down your prayers. When God gives you your promises, write them down. So in them moments, you can go back to them. You can read them. You can reread what God said to you. Put the date and the time. I've got the dates and the times. 6 a.m. on the 23rd of January, stuff like that. God spoke this, he said this. I was worrying in the middle of the night and I read the word and God spoke this to me. And then I'll write it down and keep it. So next time, it's another one I can go and read and it'll keep me strong. And it'll keep you strong. And finally, number seven. The, without this, I mean, you need every single one of them. Act. 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 When all of that is said and done, act. It is all down to your ability to motivate yourself, to get yourself to take action. James says, faith without works is dead. It's dead. Act. Grab a hold of it. Grab a hold of the promise. And then set sail. You know, if you're set in the wrong direction, that's absolutely fine. Every single leader I know, every single great person that I've studied, talked to, spoken to, none of them knew what they were doing at the beginning. They didn't have a clue. They had an idea, but they were, they were going in the wrong direction. But guess what? When they headed off in the wrong direction, God was able to bring them on the right path. But when you're stationary, how does God do it? Are you up for this, guys? Come on, let's get on our feet and let's worship Him. Hallelujah!